Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will be going into the Salt and Light closet and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2022. First off, we're joined by author Deacon Dennis Lambert, who offers us some compelling evidence for knowing that Jesus is really present in the Eucharist. After that, we meet the monks of Clear Creek Abbey, who've released their first album. They did so last year for Advent. In our second half hour, we speak with Dr. Abigail Favale, author of The Genesis of Gender, who explains to us why there is so much confusion about gender. You don't want to miss that conversation. And at the end of the program, we reconnect with singer-songwriter and music producer Will Hickel. Remember that you can always find me on any of the social media platforms. You can also email me, pedro, at eselmedia.org, and you can find out all about Salt and Light Media at our website, eselmedia.org. We now begin with the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Anyone who is familiar with the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John knows that the teaching of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist dates to that time when Jesus first brought it up to his apostles and then sealed it during the Last Supper. It was a hard teaching then, but it has not changed. This is exactly what the Church teaches to this day. Christ is really present in the Eucharist. Deacon Dennis Lambert describes himself as a skeptic, and so he set out to present the evidence to explain how we know that the real presence is real. In his new book, For Real, Christ's Presence in the Eucharist, he also gives tips on how to easily explain it to others. And so to tell us more, I am now joined by Deacon Dennis Lambert. Deacon, welcome back to the Sultanite Hour. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Deacon. It's, it's, it's good. And, and I know uh, you, you, worked, you were working on this book for a long time. I, I know that because you shared it with me. Um, let, let's start at the beginning just to be sure that people are not confused. What exactly does the church teach about the Eucharist? The church teaches that the, in the Eucharist, Christ is truly present, substantially present, body, soul, blood, and divinity. The, the Eucharist does not change, you know, it, well, it does change from, from simple bread and, and wine into our Lord fully, that not the two elements are, are, are mingled or both present, but that it is, it is, is transformed into our precious and sweet Lord. Right. And, and you said substantially. So it's the substance. That's why we call it transubstantiation. Exactly. And, and I guess if people want to find out really more what exactly that means or how it works, they can get your book. Um, in the book, and, and I, I liked, and I told you this before, I like the book because I like evidence and I sort of like, I, I think you and I have think, think in the same way. So you present a lot of the evidence. And of course, we can't go through everything that you present in the book, but can you tell us briefly how do we know that what you just said that the church teaches how do we know that it's true well exactly well first and foremost it is scripturally based you know yeah. jesus this is exactly what jesus taught from day one you mentioned john chapter six the last supper these are his teachings and the amazing thing is you know jesus it all starts with jesus but then again it doesn't end I use the analogy of a relay race in my book to try to consolidate, yeah. you know, really 
how do we know this is true? I use the image of a relay race because of the consistency and, and the congruency of, of that race. There are four legs. It starts with Jesus. Mm. What did he teach? He hands that baton, if you will, on to the apostles. What did they teach? What, what do we have in scripture? Is it congruent with what mm. Jesus taught? They then hand on the baton to the early church fathers, the, 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 the leaders of the church right after the apostles. We have so much of their writings. What did they teach? Mm -hmm. And finally, leg four is the church of today. Is what we teach congruent and consistent with all the other three legs, most importantly, what Jesus taught? And the less than amazing thing, because it's truth, it hasn't changed from, from day one, from the teaching of Jesus. So was that, because you, and again, I said this, you describe yourself as a skeptic. I don't know if you still are, like if that's your oh, personality. <laughs> oh, no, no. no. <laughs> but I was a skeptic on, the, on this topic. I on this, right. Well, I was going to ask you, so what, what was the one thing that kind of changed you from not being a skeptic on this topic? Well, it, it was kind of reading apologetics on the topic of the yeah. Eucharist. You know, most substantially, if you say, okay, what is the, what, what the one or two things? I mean, there are, there are a myriad of things, just, just the, the proof and evidence is there for people who need to be intellectually, you know, stimulated by this. Again, I, I envy the people that, that can just approach God with a childlike disposition mm -hmm. and, and just say, yeah, God, that's you. Me, I, I needed to work through reason. And if I had to consolidate, what are some of the key things? I go back to John chapter six and just the teachings of Jesus. It's easy for some people to say that Jesus was speaking symbolically or metaphorically when he said, this is my body, that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to have life. But he wasn't. And some of the proofs, like one of them to, to kind of give you is when you look at the word eat that he uses, you know, in Greek. The, the earliest Greek manuscripts we have in the in, in John chapter six, the word is represented in two different ways, either as phago or trogon. Fourteen times Jesus uses the word eat in John chapter six. Ten of those times he uses the word phago for the times trogon. So what's the difference? Well, phago is the the very plain, simple word, general word for eat, and he applies this to in any time he's talking about about eating anything but his flesh and blood. When he starts talking about his flesh and blood, eating him, so to speak, he switches and uses the word trogon, which translates to eat or gnaw, or excuse me, not eat, but gnaw or chew. So suddenly Jesus is talking about eat, eat, eat. And then when he's talking about eating his flesh, he switches to trogon, chew, unless you chew on my flesh. Interesting. So there's no mistaking, in my opinion, that Jesus meant what he said in terms of actually eating his flesh and blood, you know, and it's not just a symbol. That's just one of many. Yeah, of course. I know. And for, for me, the one was that had people, had people thought that he was speaking symbolically, then it wouldn't have been a hard teaching. They would have been like, oh yeah, okay, symbolically, I get it. But it's very clear that it was a hard teaching and many people stopped following him exactly. after, he, after he, he, he said that. And then he goes to the apostles and says, are you also going to leave? Right? So that to me means that they really understood what maybe didn't, maybe they didn't really understand, but they understood what he meant. Exactly. That was actually, that'd be my number two example after that teaching that so many of the disciples who had followed him everywhere you know town to town gave up their livelihoods yeah. and everything else suddenly are out on this one teaching 
And if he wasn't speaking, you know, truth to power, if he was talking symbolically, why didn't he simply say, wait, let me explain this to you? Yeah, let me clarify. I don't mean literally. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And he says it like he says it like six times, unless you eat, unless you. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so when you are explaining this to others, because the other thing that I like, I really liked the, about the book, the way you, you structured the book is that, you know, there's the, the analogy of the, the relay race. But then at the end, I guess all throughout, but particularly at the end, you give us kind of tips on like a summary, how to how to explain this in a way that's kind of easy for other people to grasp and and not everybody is a deacon and not everybody has a theology degree so other than those two examples that you just gave that are scriptural what's maybe one other uh uh other other thing that you've told people that you find has helped in in helping them understand i I have a fondness though you know for the early church fathers because there are so many of their writings that that we have so right, you know, right after, you know, the, the apostles, we have the early church fathers say Ignatius of Antioch, we have his writing mm-hmm. and in writing is, it goes right, it echoes back to, to John's, John six and this, and St. Ignatius was a disciple of John, the person who wrote and was there at the bread of life discourse. Mm-hmm. And he speaks quite plainly that, that, that the Eucharist is the body blood of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I desire you know, his body and his, and his blood, you know, so it's just there, there, there are just so many, it's hard when you, when you say Deacon Pedro, you know, just what is that? What else is there? There's just so much there. Yeah. It's interesting because you, you can't, I mean, it's not like a logical thing, but the fact, uh, the fact that the, the teaching has not changed and that it's been consistent. I mean, I, I guess that your main point is not that the church, you know, or the recent popes didn't invent this. This was not made up in Vatican II or anything. I mean, this has been right. a consistent teaching all throughout, and that itself is evidence, right? Yeah. Yes. If I could give one, one just kind of dawned on me when you said I mean, the, the universe of proofs that we have. One of the other ones actually is from the apostles in First uh, Corinthians chapter 11. You know, St. Paul presents us the last supper scenario, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what happened. Jesus said, this is my body. Etc. But then right afterwards, he follows up with with words of wisdom saying about the Eucharist that you cannot receive it unworthily, that you must discern, discern beforehand that it is his body and blood. Why would this be if it was just a symbol? Absolutely. That's a good one. I like that yeah. one. Okay, there you go. So people that are listening, if you're having this conversation with others that maybe are not, maybe they're not Catholic, maybe they are Catholic and they don't quite get it. Um, that's a good place to start with scripture. Um, Deacon, thank you for uh, telling us a little bit about this. Thank you for writing the book, uh, For Real Christ's Presence in the Eucharist. Um, it's an important topic and I know that it's as it was 2000 years ago a hard teaching to understand, but a beautiful and important teaching that is integral to our faith. So thank you for uh, helping us understand it, Deacon. Oh, thank you for having me. Deacon Dennis Lambert. He's a permanent deacon in the Diocese of Phoenix. He is the author of The Table, but his new book, For Real, Christ's Presence in the Eucharist, is published by Liguori. If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to the rest of the show, go to our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now are the monks of Clear Creek with an excerpt of the Ave Maria Responsory 
from their new album, Rorate Celli, Marian Sounds of Advent. That was the Monks of Clear Creek with an excerpt of the Ave Maria Responsory from their new album, Rorate Celli, Marian Sounds of Advent. Our Lady of Clear Creek Abbey is a growing monastic community in Oklahoma, belonging to the Benedictine Solemn Congregation established out of France's Our Lady of Foncombeau Abbey. About 60 men live in the community and are dedicated, among other things, to the contemplative praying of the Sung Liturgy. They have just recorded their first album titled Rorate Celi, Marian Sounds of Advent. And to tell us more, I am now joined by their choir master, Father Mark Bachman. Father Mark, welcome to the Sultan Light Hour. Thank you. Good to be here. It's good to have you. So um, I think our listeners probably have heard of Benedictine monks and abbeys, but how would you describe the charism of your community? I would say that... Uh... Our community kind of uh, distinguishes itself from the the rest of the Benedictine presence in the North America, in as much as we have stuck to the contemplative aspect of the uh, the rule. We have no exterior uh, 
uh, apostolate. Okay. And so uh, our our life turns around the liturgy. Okay. So, and, and the reason why I ask is because my next question is going to be, I mean, you're obviously doing more things than just dedicating your lives to the contemplative yeah. sung, you know, the, the singing, the liturgy. Um, uh -huh. So, but I, but I know that singing is a big part of what you do or the liturgy, as you said, um, mm -hmm. but, uh, and, and it's so, would people understand it better if you say that you're a cloistered community? That's what it means that you don't have no external ministry? Yeah, so that, that, that's, that's approximately it. But our cloister wouldn't be quite as uh, strict as the, the strictest uh, Carmelites, like the for Carmelites. example. We never go out. We go out for doctor's appointments. We okay. even go out for when it's needed for shopping. Right. Okay. But you don't do any work outside of the community. That's right. That's um, right. And, and other than singing, what do you do? Well, well um, we're a community and basically we're a self-sufficient community. So... Everything that we has to make the, the 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 community turn, make it work, has to be done by us. That is insofar as is possible. So we have to grow our vegetables and uh, take right. care of the cows, uh, cook the meals, right, etc. And all the way to, to teaching and okay. um, confessing and uh, giving spiritual direction to guests and things like that. Okay, I see. So when you say that you're that you're dedicated, that a great part of what you do is the contemplative praying of the liturgy. What does that mean? Well, uh, that means that just as uh, Saint Benedict specified in the Holy, Holy Rule, we um, get together eight times a day, uh, seven times in the day, and one time at night. Mm -hmm. And um, especially the whole spirituality, the whole focus of our religious life is the liturgy. The, that is um, prayer of the church uh, for the whole church. We don't see ourselves as being isolated and just taking care of ourselves, but right. we're part of the, the diocese first and through the diocese, the, the whole church, including the church in Canada. Yes. By the way, I am Canadian. I'm oh. from Vancouver, British Columbia. Wonderful. And so um, that's probably why... Uh, they designated me. Uh, well, one another reason why they designated me to, to do this interview. Uh, interview. So, um, yeah, the the our vocation embraces the whole church, but um, it uses the means that are simply uh, that uh, are, are res restricted to our our monastery. We don't go out and um, exercise. Uh, a bodily, a physical apostolate. Yeah, I understand that. So when, <laughs> when going back to the liturgy, so I think our listeners would be familiar with the liturgy of the hour. So when you said that those are the eight times mm -hmm. that you prayed, that's what you're that's what you refer to the the the, that's liturgy, right. the, the office of the church. Plus um, um, uh, mass, which right. is after after terse, uh, we do so, um, you'd say uh, sung mass every day, okay. and uh, for the feast days, of course, we do solemn mass. Okay, good. So sung. So everything, every moment of prayer is sung. That's right. It's all community and it's all sung. That's right. Um, if you like, in that way, we call that the, the solemn celebration of the liturgy. In as much as it's not just uh, casual, everybody comes together and it's um, very deliberately uh, done in praise of God. Huh? It's interesting. It's and I'm I'm glad that you uh, mentioned that you were from from uh, British Columbia. So obviously, I and I've been to the to the Abbey in Mission, BC. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and I, I have to tell you that I never understood 
chant mm-hmm. until I went to the Abbey yeah. in Mission, and I and I heard them pray the liturgy, and I thought, mm-hmm. okay, this makes sense because that's yeah. the context in which it's intended for. Yeah, and if you don't mind me interjecting, um, to try and make Gregorian chant a piece for the concert hall is to not understand I, and yes. and risk misrepresenting it. This is made for the liturgy. It's made for the praise of God. It's not made for just um, aesthetic delight. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. And which is why it sometimes doesn't even work in a, in a contemporary mass, uh, you know, in my parish, because yeah, you have a too little, much contrast. Yeah. Too much contrast. Or you have, you know, 10 little singers in, in the choir trying to do chant when it's meant to be congregational and, and, in a way monastic. Um, yeah. So, so explain to me the purpose of the recording then, if it's not meant for aesthetic purposes. Well, uh, yes, very good. Very good question. We um, consent to do this rather reluctantly. Yeah, uh, I figured. We prefer you all to come to and visit us, huh? Yes. Um, and uh, take part in the liturgy. This is kind of just a spinoff of um, our life. Okay. It's also to allow you and other people to participate in our life in a way that they wouldn't normally be able to do. Right. It's also to, to give a taste of the liturgical spirit and whet the appetite of, of people. Uh, finally, th- this uh, CD could opportunely uh, happily be used as a pre- preparation for Christmas, a more meditative, contemplative, calming Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of uh, pre- preparation for Christmas because let's let's re- remind ourselves that um, Christ is not just a, or that Christmas is just not just about the Christmas tree. Uh, of course, it's uh, our Lord coming, and this is uh, this is uh, basically it's a sample of the the chance that the church has developed in this season mm-hmm. uh, with an optic to. Um, uh, to preparing us for Christmas. Right. So people should probably listen to it with an awareness that it is prayer. And yep. I don't know, I, I like to close my eyes and, and maybe picture myself in the Abbey with you. Um, what does Rorate Celi mean? And why Rorate, did you use that? Yeah, Rorate Celi, um, we didn't... Well, okay, um, we cho- chose that because the Rorate Celi, the very first track is a, a chant that would have been very familiar two generations before. Okay. Uh, everybody would have sung that during Advent. But um, nowadays, uh, well, it's been kind of lost in the treasure chest. And, uh, well, why not take it out and uh, 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 present it again to, to the Christian faithful? Um, at Rorate Cheli, it dropped down... Uh, the ye dews from the heavens is a uh, okay. Is from Isaiah. Yes, uh, it's talking about the the Savior. Let him come down, like of course, like the the dew, uh, and uh, it uh, the 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 the, um, the refrain is rather uh, well. It might even be recognizable to some. Huh? And then there's verses that um, 
explain the desolation of Jerusalem and their desire for the Messiah. Uh, so there we go. And that's the first uh, track. And then um, on the very last track, you have that uh, melody again, but set to organum, which uh, uh, adds, um, if you like, another dimension, a dimension of, uh, of harmony to, to the chant. So um, that's just uh, offered as a, uh, as a piece of interest. Uh, people uh, these days might find chant a little bit austere. Mm -hmm. So we, we, um, we uh, added a little bit of um, uh, polyphony to make it uh, perhaps more uh, attractive. Yeah, I wondered about that track, actually. And I, um, so I'm glad you explained it. Um, and that's a very good, I think, message for us to remember during Advent about the dew coming down from heaven. Mm -hmm. um, uh, sometimes we forget. Father Mark, uh, thank you for spending a little bit of time with us Certainly. today and for sharing a little bit of what you're, you do in your community. And I think you've, you've whetted our appetite enough to want to travel down to Oklahoma. There we go. And uh, that's the whole point. So our listeners, uh, don't, uh, don't delay. Drive over to Tulsa, the Diocese of Tulsa, <laughs> and uh, go visit the monks at the Abbey of Clear Creek. Um, thank you, Father Mark. Uh, thank you. Nice meeting you. And, and happy Blessed Advent and Merry Christmas to you, you and too. your brothers. You too. And everybody in Canada. You can learn more about the monks of Clear Creek and purchase their album and other things at their website, clearcreekmonks.org. If you missed a part of this interview or you want to listen to it again, head on over to slmedia.org podcast. All our programs are archived there. Here now are the monks of Clear Creek with that polyphonic setting of Rorate Celli that Father Mark was talking about. Organum, Rorate Celli, from their album Rorate Celli, Marian Sounds of Advent. Listening to Rorate Celi by the monks of Clear Creek from their Advent album Rorate Celi on this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour 
I'm Deacon Pedro. You can check out our website at slmedia.org slash podcast. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. As many of you know, I grew up in Latin America and growing up learning Spanish grammar, and I always learned that the word gender applied to words. You see, in Spanish, words have gender. Some are male and some are female. But human beings don't have gender. They have sex, and there are two sexes, male and female. So when as an adult in North America, I started hearing the word gender being applied to human beings, it was a bit strange. But as it is with the normalizing power of popular culture, I think it's safe to say that probably universally today, everyone accepts the idea that human beings have gender. And apparently, gender is not related to their biological sex. Abigail Favalli has a background in gender studies and feminist literary criticism and teaches at the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame. Her latest book is The Genesis of Gender, A Christian Theory, and so I can't think of a better person to have this conversation with. Abigail, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Yeah, thanks for having me. So um, there's a lot that we could be talking about today, and we don't have a lot of time, but so briefly, how would you or how should we define gender? Right, that's a great question. I think so much of the confusion about gender has to do with the fact that there's one term that is given so many different definitions mm-hmm. that are often contradictory. So you have people using the same word, but they mean very different things right. by it. So one of the standard definitions that developed kind of in the in the 1970s and has been pretty prominent is that Gender refers to the social or cultural norms or expressions of biological sex. So, for example, the fact that in our culture, women tend to have longer hair or slightly different dress. Those aren't strictly natural, but those are cultural expressions of something natural. And so um, sometimes gender is used to refer to the social expressions of sex. So you might hear people say, well, gender is a social construct. And that's usually right. what they mean by that, right? Yeah. They're, they're referring to this definition of gender. More recently, however, we have the development of gender identity theory. And this is a very different understanding of gender, which refers to a person's self-understanding. So how I feel or how I perceive myself is my gender identity. And this might not have anything to do with biological sex. And what's interesting is that it's not actually a, co- a social construct. It's like seen as this almost a soul, like this gendered soul. Right. right. So those are two very different definitions. And it's this gender identity that is seen as not necessarily connected to biological sex. So I would say if we're going to use the term gender, which maybe we shouldn't, I'm not sure about that. But if right. we are as Catholics, we have to see gender as connected to sex. So gender referring to generativity, right? So okay. the roots of gender, gens, right? So it refers back to our our generative potential. Um, So it's a category that refers to the whole person. So it includes sex. Absolutely. So, and it has to be connected to biology. So if when people bring it up, is a good question to ask them what they mean by gender or when they say- 100%. That's the best question to ask. That's the first question I ask. As soon as someone asks me about gender, I say, well, what do you mean by gender? Because that will- completely change the shape of the conversation. And I would say in general, 
if you can use the word sex, do it. Um, but if you, if you do want to talk to someone about gender, make sure that you define what you mean okay. by it. That's good to know. So then, and then sex, would you say is very specifically, and not just to human beings, but I think with animals, uh, maybe even plants as well. Absolutely. But it has right. to do with their gen. Does it also have to do with their generative potential? Yes. Yeah, it does. Right. So sex refers to the roles that males and females play in any sexual sexually reproducing species. So it really boils down to the structure of an organism in relation to how we create sex cells and create new life. So it's something we share with the animal okay. world and the plant world and pretty so much everything with, except bacteria. It has to do with reproduction. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. um, and again, I have all these huge questions for you, so it's totally not fair. So I apologize. But so what would the church teach? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the church, when the church talks about gender, they acknowledge the fact that there are, there are social, socially constructed norms related to sex. Like that, that's true. And that's important that we have a conversation about that because sometimes those social, social norms aren't good ones. Right. Mm -hmm. um, we can think mm -hmm. of traditions that have, have expressed sex in a way that undermines the dignity of women in particular. So it's important to be able to talk about that, that dimension, but at the same time, the church is very clear that you cannot separate gender from sex, okay. that the ground of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman is our biological sex. Yes. And so anytime you step away from that, you're stepping into an anthropology or an understanding of the person that is at odds with a Catholic anthropology, which sees the human being as a mm -hmm. unity of body mm -hmm. and soul. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. the body matters for yeah, Catholics. Of course. So would you say that science tells us the same thing? Yes. Right. <laughs> so I, th I think you, well, okay. So I think science is you know, science should take biological realities very seriously. Yeah, of course. Um, so, but at the same time, there there's also a sense in a Catholic understanding that there's a spiritual reality to manhood and womanhood as well, right? Because we're we're unities of body and spirit. Um, so there's a my my femininity or the fact that I'm a woman also has a spiritual dimension to it that's mm. important, and that's something that goes just be beyond the scientific, the mere scientific, yeah, right? Okay. So the biological is essential. It's important. It's the foundation, but yet there's also more to being a human being than just our biology. Yeah. And I, and I think if people want to understand kind of how we got here, <laughs> they should read the book, your book. Mm -hmm. um, but can I ask you quickly, do we have a sense of like, how do we get here is it because we're moving more and more into this kind of relativistic worldview of everything so that anything can be anything, whatever I feel? Is is that part of it? I think that's a big part of it. I also think a big part of it actually is our society becoming contraceptive, because I think with the acceptance of contraception, okay. that really shifted our understanding about what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a man. It shifts it away from generativity. Right. So we've kind of forgotten that that's the ground of what it means to be a man or a woman. And so now it's much more about appearances. It's much more about roles. It's much more about these externalities. And so it's almost like we assume that if you can mimic the appearance of the opposite sex, you genuinely can become that sex because we no longer think about men and women in terms of generativity. So I think there's been a, a contraceptive revolution, but that's unfolded in in tandem with a conceptual revolution. So a change in our understanding of these terms. Interesting. Okay, that's fascinating. Um, 
there's a film that you're featured in you and a whole bunch of other people uh called disconnected we don't have a ton of time to talk about it right now but can you tell us quickly um kind of what the focus of the film is because i think a lot of our listeners would be interested in checking it out sure so the film is an attempt to really understand our contemporary moment and especially why so many young women are deciding that they want to become or already are men? Why are so many of our young women fleeing womanhood and fleeing femininity? Because there's been such a sharp exponential rise in the last 10 years or so in um, gender dysphoria among young people. Mm -hmm. And so this is a documentary that pulls from a lot of different voices um, to really understand this phenomenon and also to kind of reroute our understanding um, in the truth and to under, so to understand what's going on in our contemporary moment so we can better respond to it. Mm-hmm. And I believe that film is available for, for free, correct? Or for, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's, well. on, it's online, yeah. It's online, so Disconnected, D-Y-S, Disconnected, the real story behind the transgender explosion. I think the film also explains a little bit about how we got here. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. As does your book, um, mm-hmm. The Genesis of Gender. Um, I have so many more questions. Um, but so I'm a little uh, hesitant to let you go. Um, but, uh, thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for, uh, helping us understand this a little better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I know that this is a topic that is very interesting to our listeners. So I know that we're going to get hopefully a lot of uh, feedback on this. Um, and hopefully we can get you back on the show because that'd be great. A very important conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Professor Abigail Favale is the author of The Genesis of Gender, A Christian Theory, published by Ignatius. And uh, she is also featured in the new documentary, Disconnected, The Real Story Behind the Transgender Explosion. You can learn more about that film at their website, disconnectedmovie.com. And it's disconnected with a Y, D-Y-S, connectedmovie.com. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Will Hickel, with his new single, Over and Over. Drawing near to rain. 
so your heart I've come to know you are God you never let me go because you love me so your heart That was Will Hickel with his new single, Over and Over. We met Will Hickel in March 2021 when he told us all about his initiative, Novum Records, and his band, Novum, and also the Novum Collective, which is a collective of artists that collaborate on various projects. Needless to say, Will is a songwriter and singer. He's a worship leader. He's a music producer. Um, his Novum Records has helped many young Catholic artists release hundreds of songs up to date. Over the last year, Will has continued writing and has released a few new singles that we've been listening to. And so it's a good excuse to have him back on the show. Will, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you. It's so good to be back. So what was what was the last couple of years like for you guys? Were you, were you able to continue producing and recording? I know you were writing, but how was the pandemic for you? Yeah, um, pandemic... It shaped out to be very helpful for having the time to write. <laughs> yeah. Not helpful in many other ways, but uh, but time to to be still and to create and to collaborate. Um, turns out, writing over Zoom is is isn't as isn't as good as writing in person, but it's been it, it actually worked out really well. Um, so we were able to kind of expand our ability to to write and collaborate. That's very interesting. Sorry to interrupt, but you're not the first person that tells me that because you think I know that when we started collaborating via Zoom, it was just really awkward. But yeah. I think most most songwriters have figured it out. And actually, mm -hmm. like you said, like you don't have to travel to Nashville or travel to California. You can just connect via Zoom and collaborate that way. So it's been good. Yeah, it's been great. And fr from a nerdy technical perspective, like <laughs> my uh, my interface, like I, I can plug in my keyboards or my synths and like kind of share ideas. And it sounds sounds great coming through Zoom. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been good, especially when it comes to producing. Um, there were a couple tracks that I would produce like live on Zoom. I'd share my screen. I'd play some sounds. They could hear everything that was happening. So um, so that, that turned out to be great. So some good technology praise god for that um but yeah no the, the last few years have been great we've been um we've been slowly growing and uh we have a few new artists some exciting ones like flynn and kate curran mm -hmm. um who have have just been able to bless us with such incredible music kate curran is a great worship artist she's from ireland lives in atlanta and then we have a flynn is a pop duo they're both married 
to each other. That's yes, they're they're married to each other, uh, yes. and uh, they're based in Michigan. And you know, they're 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 they have such an incredible sound, and and not it's very you know you would you wouldn't know like that they're people that are religious by listening to their music just because right. it sounds it sounds truly top 40s mainstream um but that's that's the goal of novum records is we want to evangelize we want to build good culture within the church and outside the church um with with catholics who are are intentional about their faith but also who want to make beautiful art that can draw people in so exactly no that's good in fact kate curran is going to be on this program next week yes so uh uh, so thank you for connecting us and i'm looking forward (laughs) to connecting with flynn as well i i I was looking through your website and i counted i mean just the new releases in 2022 yeah there's like 21 new releases (laughs) and and including flynn and kate curran i mean Mm -hmm. so many other artists as well so you you have been busy We've been very busy. In fact, our latest release was three days ago from this recording on uh, October 22nd, JP2's Feast Day. Um, yeah. Eric Wilkes came out with his debut single. He's been a huge collaborator. He's been with us from the start. Um, he's par- he is my partner in crime in the band Novum. Yeah. Um, and so it's the two of us. And, uh, and we're currently working on a full-length record that should hopefully be coming out next year. But that's going to be 12 brand new songs. Oh, that's um, good. Okay. Make sure to yeah. let us know so we can uh, get you get you back on the show or, or get them back on the show. Um, do you do a lot of live performance or live events? Yeah. So that's actually been a huge thing that we're working on for the future of Novum Records is, is building out our booking management service. Um, and so Flynn actually has a gig tomorrow night. Uh, so I've been talking to, um, the organizer of that and, um, and yeah, I've kind of served as their booking manager and kind of trying that out. We're actually, we've hired somebody to also take on a lot of the booking. Um, it's just, it's such a full-time job just to reach out to people and to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You book, you book us. So you know how it goes. So yeah, live performances, um, and getting our artists out there to help build their fan bases and connect with people is a huge initiative. So So, yeah. yeah, well, that oh, that's good to know because that's the kind of support that I think artists, especially Catholic artists, Christian artists, and when, as they're starting out, that if you're the one that's doing everything, producing and direct, you know, uh, sorry, songwriting, and and then also having to book your own uh, your own events, like you yeah. said, it's 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 a full time job, more than full time job. Now, yeah. last time I remember you were talking to us about the uh, the liturgy resources, particularly the Psalm Project. Um, I know that that has continued. Is there anything new that, in terms of that, you want our listeners to know about what's happening in that end? Yeah, no. The liturgy resources platform has been growing very, very well. Um, and and by growing, I mean like in collaboration. We have this. So we started on year B, um, and then we had year C, and then we just finished year A because year A starts in a month. Um, and what's what's exciting about year A is we. We were able to we were able to get about thirty five songwriters. So we expanded our I guess you know palette of of you know <laughs> composition. Um, so so there's a nice diversity of, of sound, but also with the first year we wrote over a hundred and we recorded a little over half of those. The second year we wrote over a hundred and we recorded eighty eight. Wow. This year we wrote 103 and we set out to record all 103 and we did. It was a, it was an insane week for anyone who records music. I mean, we I were working 12-hour days just, you know, uh everyone was playing live at once. We 
play it in a couple takes and then move wow. on to the next so one. So these are these are psalms specifically just or just the other responsorial aspects? psalms. Just the psalms. Yeah. So we wrote on, we record 103. And so what's cool about our platform is we have permission from uh, the USCCB and the International Commission of English and Liturgy to put these out on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes. So you know if you if you type in liturgy resources as an artist on Apple Music or anything, uh, you'll find all of the psalms that are out currently, um, as well as all of our mass settings. And we have two mass settings, um, one that just released this year called the Mass of the Annunciation. um, And then we released that on the Feast of the Annunciation on March 25th. And so, um, and then we have a couple other mass settings that are currently being reviewed and written and recorded. So, um, and then after that, we'll go into other liturgical music. You know, there's, there's obviously a lot of Psalms for funerals and weddings and antiphons and things like that. So, okay. That's wonderful. That's good to know. So I hope that that's uh, interesting for our listeners. Um, how, if someone is listening and, and they, they're like, I'm a parish musician, I wrote this mass setting, how, can they contact you to see if there's any possibility of it being published or? Absolutely. We are, we, yes, we want to help serve, uh, anyone who, who wants to, to get into that, um, that kind of, that kind of world of, of the publishing. Yeah. Um, and you know, and for any, any music directors listening, we have a good relationship with CC line one license so we can get your music on those platforms as well. So yeah. Um, if you just go to liturgyresources.com, uh, click on contact and, and also, I mean, my email is will at liturgyresources.com. So really easy. Reach out to me. You know, I'd love to. Okay, help. sounds good. Very, very approachable. Will <laughs> would like you to write to him. So would that go the same with an artist or a young, a young artist that wants to record and maybe, you know, uh, in that sense, maybe not liturgical music, but they they want to, yeah, be a Catholic we, artist. In, in, Catholic artist, any genre. Uh, that email is will at novumrecords.com. So really easy. <laughs> but uh, but if you go to novumrecords.com/demo, you can. That's our formal process. You can okay. submit demo. It, it it fills out a form. It does go straight to me. Um, it just helps me get to know the artists and what their goals right. are, and of course, and hear a little bit of their music before we okay, talk. Okay, that's good to know. So wow, sounds like you're you're busy and you're doing really good work. And Anything else that's coming down the pipes? Any more music that you're recording with Novum or by yourself? <laughs> yeah, Novum, we've got a single that's actually has been mixed. I need to go review that when we hang up here. But um, uh, we've got that. We have a brand new artist, Winston, who I'll, I'll connect you with offline. Um, he's got a cool, like, kind of kind of taking back Sunday meets Harry Styles kind of vibe. Just cool pop songs, love songs. Um, okay. Really exciting music. Um, and he actually just got engaged, so exciting for him. Um Let's see what else. I I have a few things personally that I'm working on. I mean, those three singles that that we're showing here on the show, those took me a long time to. I, I wrote them. I mean, I think as as old as 2020, um, right. but it took me forever to to finally record them. And those which, are just you, right? It's, it's just, just me. Yeah. yeah. And those have been exciting because I wanted yeah. to find a sound for worship that I personally, I guess. Uh, connected with not that i don't connect with traditional sounding worship but i really yeah. like synthesizers and drum machines and so i wanted to like glorify the lord yeah you do with yeah. the tech the music technology that we have today um so yeah. so that's been really a really fun challenge to how do i make these things sound cool and weird but also reverent right so in over and over when you get to the bridge you have that big bouncy ball like drum machine boom yep. boom boom and you know what's funny is i'll show friends that by itself 
myself. I'll be like, tell me what you think of this, you know, and I'll play just the drums and I'll be like, yeah, okay. And I'll be like, could you imagine this being in a worship song? And they're like, not really, but then I'll add the other layers and show them how it fits in just to, yeah, just yeah. to, I guess, you know, as my litmus test of <laughs> what, no, what do people true. actually no, and think? You've done so. it. You've done it. I think that you're right. That's exactly what you've done. And it works really, really well. Yeah. So that's been fun. So I have a few other ideas, but you know, those ideas took me a couple years to get out. So it'll probably be another (laughs) at this rate, two years for the next round, but that's because, you know, and my wife, she's been awesome. She's such a great champion of, of everything we do and and of my own personal music. And she finally had to kind of give me a a kick in the pants and be like, Hey man, you have all this stuff. You know, it's great that you help other people, but why don't you focus on yourself for a couple months so you can actually finish your music. And so I listened to her as 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 we should sh- as we should yes um and so yeah so we've got those three songs i've got well, a few no more. that's good i mean that that's fine you're also i i you have a a, a young child yes. so that's taking time so yes. in in time <laughs> you do what you need to do i i'm uh i'm excited to hear the new music and and, and uh and i look forward to hearing more when it's ready but uh, i know that it's not that you're sitting around doing nothing so that's, Will, that's, yes. <laughs> thank you for thank you for staying in touch and for connecting with us today and for uh, again giving giving us those great resources for our listeners mm. um, and uh, keep doing what you're doing because it's really good. Yeah, thanks again for having me. God bless. God bless. You can learn more about Will Hickel and get his music at his website willhickel.com. You can also learn more about Novum, the Novum Collective, and Novum Records at the Novum Records website novumrecords.com. If you missed any part of this interview, you can head on over to our site, slmedia.org slash podcast. All our programs are archived there. And here now to take us out is Will Hickel with his new single, You Shine. God, I need you more in every moment. I've been waiting for your peace to come. Even when the storms of life surround listening to Will Hickel with his single, You Shine. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, esselmedia.org. That's where you can listen to all our programs and not just podcasts. There's a lot of content there, videos and our blog, which includes my column, Deconstructing. That's also where you can find out everything you want about Salt and Light Media and how you can support our ministry because we cannot do this without your financial support. That's slmedia.org. Thank you for your support. If you have any comments or questions, send them. Email me, pedro at slmedia.org, or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special best of edition of the Salt and Light Hour.